Today's episode of Wings for Breakfast is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brand new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I am Max Boltman. With me, as always, is Prashant Ayer. And still we wait for any news on the timing of a draft, on any resumption of play. It's uh, it's getting to be a little agonizing at this point. Yeah, I mean, the league is uh, certainly dragging their feet here. And again, obviously all of that comes with your hope and they make kind of what's the right decision, the safest decision, really, you know, taking all the factors under consideration. But after being teased with uh, news, of, as you know, two weeks ago saying that a decision was imminent, now it's, we really have no idea what's what's happening. Um, and, and honestly, it's just every single day, it seems like, hey, maybe something could happen or maybe it could not. Uh, so we'll see. But hopefully they're using all this time to kind of nail down all the details and ultimately make a decision on whether or not it's safe to resume. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it is hard to uh to fault the league for taking, you know, all all the time it can to come to the right decision for sure. Uh but in a time when everyone is uh shall we say starved for anything fresh, anything new. I mean, that's kind of the reason there was talk of a of a June draft to begin with. Was that exact phenomenon and how how much appetite there was. Uh, so I think right now that's, that's kind of being, you know, that, that this is kind of the proof of concept, although the longer things go, the more it seems like maybe, uh, maybe there will be more coming back sooner than later, whether it's the NHL or whether we all just get, uh, diehards into KBO. I know my Lote Giants are, uh, well, they got off to a good start. They've been struggling a little more lately. Yeah, I mean, you've got the KBO and now the Bundesliga is resumed over in Germany. I mean, you can, uh, you can pick up some professional soccer as well. So if you're looking for your fix, there's at least a couple of leagues that have, uh, found a way to resume. And I think those leagues kind of give you, uh, an insight into how the NHL could, could feasibly do it. Again, recognizing that, you know, thus far the outbreak in the United States has not been contained as well as it has in Germany or, or South Korea, but, you know, that being said, I mean, just looking at some of the stuff that's going on in, in Bundesliga in terms of, you know, you're having to take extra buses for your players. Your players have to have their temperatures checked as they're entering the facilities. All the uh, arena staff have to have that done. There's no, you know, there's there's limits on the goal celebrations. I mean, after a hockey goal is scored, everyone comes together in a hug. I mean, are you going to, you know, have to emphasize that that can't happen going down a handshake line? I mean, all of those kinds of things, just, you know, little details that have been substantially altered when you're going and watching these, you know, different sporting events. So it really gives you some insight into all of the things the NHL has to consider uh, if they're ultimately going to find a way to, to resume the season. I did see uh, the, the John Shannon tweet 
yesterday that kind of teased the possibility of a late August, early September draft with or without a resumption of the season uh, yesterday. Did you see that? Uh, I did not actually see that, but, you know, again, that's an interesting thing that gets tossed out. But, you know, like you and I have said, I think ultimately a decision has to be made about what you're doing with the with the league and the season yes. before you can make a decision on the draft. So a tweet like that, to me, doesn't really do a whole lot in terms of thinking there's some, some meat to the bones because I can't imagine the league is going to set a date for the draft without having made a decision as to whether or not the actual draft is, uh, or the, I should say whether or not the actual season is going to resume because, you know, again, it's just, it, it, it seems very weird that they would have settled on a format, lottery odds, all those kinds of things without even making a decision as to whether or not the league resumes or finishes in time. Well, I do think the, the resumption of play is key to any, any timing or formatting of the draft because number one, you know, if, if the 24 team, you know, return idea is what they go with, then I think that's, you know, you're looking at quite a different setup, quite a different structure than ultimately you would be if it was a 31 or a 16 team return. At least in my opinion, if you're going to be bringing, you know, a fixed number of teams back, um, you know, then you're kind of working with different pools than if you're bringing everyone back or kind of just the 16 playoff teams back. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, if you've already made the decision that you're going to bring 24 teams or whatever number of teams, no matter what, and you've already made the decision that you will resume play, then sure, you can go ahead and set a date. But those two things, I think, have to be decided before you could even get down to to weighing the lottery odds or anything along those lines. Because, again, it's just going to be extremely awkward if you go you decide on you know let's say they decide on this uh, new lottery format where there's only seven teams and and you have uh you know the ability to only move up uh four spots and you can't move down more than one spot and all of a sudden you decide you're not resuming the the season well then all the teams between eight and 15 really get shafted that would have participated in the lottery so ultimately no matter what is tweeted a decision about the number of teams and who and and when or if they're going to resume has to be made before the draft is done. I think that's fair to say. But for now, you know, we'll we will leave uh leave that bees until there is a little more news on the on the subject. I mean, I think I I certainly was hoping that it was going to come on the uh, board of govs call Monday afternoon. That's why we're recording today instead of uh, on Monday. We were hoping to give it just enough time for some news to leak out and uh you know, naturally, it, maybe it'll come out later <laughs> the next day or two. Now that we've now that we've waited and pushed back our schedule, but uh, I think you would probably share my sentiment that at this point, I'm willing to sacrifice. Uh, I'm willing to sacrifice the continuity of our show to have some news here. Fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm waiting for the NHL to pull a standard Friday 5 p.m. We're going to get a decision here, <laughs> and you know, when everyone's not paying attention to, to Twitter and, and anything that's going on. So that's just my expectation that on some random Friday, uh, Memorial Day, a random Sunday, you're just going to get news leaked that, hey, this is what the NHL's actually decided uh, in fashion. So there's no point in us trying to plan <laughs> anywhere around expected news because every time we get the same information uh, recycled over and over. 
I think that's fair. All right, well, we still got some fun uh, stuff on the show plan for today. So you have put together what I think is going to be really fun, which is kind of a uh, it's a bracket, sixteen teams of the most dominant Red Wings teams ever. Is that how we're how we're billing it? Yeah, I mean, basically, we're at this point where sports fans are kind of starving for something to argue about, and I think after Red Wings fans had to sit through arguably. I shouldn't say arguably, probably the worst season in Red Wings franchise history, you know, right up there with those 84-85 teams and 85-86. Uh, you know, I, I think with that being said, I thought it'd be a good idea for us to pull the best 16 teams out of Red Wings franchise history and throw them into our own playoff bracket. We'll seed them in kind of a historic conference and a modern conference so that way, at least stylistically, the eras, things like that, it's a little bit easier to kind of go with the matchups against each other within the respective conferences. But then in the middle, you're going to have your your ultimate championship decided by kind of the winner of the modern conference and the winner of the historic conference. And so, you know, I've done some research over the last few weeks to try and, you know, pin down who really are the 16 best teams uh, I did not take all the winners of the Stanley Cups because some of those Stanley Cup teams, particularly in the early 30s, uh, were not very good. And so, you know, while they won a Stanley Cup championship, they don't necessarily belong in this uh, bracket of the best Red Wings teams of all time. And so with that being said, uh, I've pulled eight of the teams that are prior to league expansion, eight teams after league expansion, and I figured it'd be a good bracket for us where we'll allow you guys uh, to weigh in on who should actually win and move along. And what you and I, Max, what we'll do is we will actually preview these teams for you on our next few episodes. So for those of you that are unfamiliar with some of these teams, we'll give you the background information on them. You get to vote in the matchups after you listen to the podcast, and that way it's a little bit more of an informed vote as to who you think moves on, and we'll continue to move these teams on and uh, kind of go from there. So our first matchup is going to be a couple of teams from the early 2000s. We've got the 0102 Stanley Cup champion Red Wings against the 0506 Detroit Red Wings. Uh, that team did not win the Stanley Cup. I believe that was the first post lockout yeah. year. Or is that yeah? That's, yeah, uh, that's right. Mike Babcock's first year. That's the first year post lockout, and that's a 58 win Red Wings team. So let me run you through the stars on both groups, and then we'll get into a little bit of discussion of how we think. We're using like a seven-game series here for yep. the determining Yeah, factor. yeah. So the yep. rules are going to be a seven. which team wins a seven-game series, modern rules um, are, are at place here. All right. So the we'll start with the 0506 Red Wings. That top line was Pavel Datsuk, Thomas Holmstrom, Brendan Shanahan. They had Zetterberg, Franzen, Mikhail Samuelson on line two. Robert Lang, Steve Eiserman, Jason Williams was line three. Uh, and then Chris Draper, Kirk Malpe, Dan Cleary was the fourth line. On D, they had Nick Littstrom and Andreas Lilia. Matthew Schneider and Chris Chelios. Brett Lebda and Nick Cronwall. And then Manny Legacy and Chris Osgood in goal. That was a uh, Norris year for Nick Lidstrom and a Lady Bing year for Pavel Datsuk. Prashant's put together these nice little cards for me, and we'll tweet them out for you guys so that uh, you guys can can have this crash course of information here as well. Uh, but it makes it very easy. We we'll definitely want uh, your participation uh, big time as we go through here. Uh, the 0102 Red Wings, meanwhile, uh, that that was a top line of uh, Iserman, Fedorov, Shanahan. Uh, there was a Larianov, Robitaille. 
by Holmstrom's second line. Third line was Datsuk Hull, Boyd Devereaux, a line which I am now savvy enough to call the two kids in a goat line. Good for you, Max. Uh, thanks to our trivia show last week. Thank you. And uh, the fourth line was Draper McCarty Malpe. Uh, on defense, it was Nick Lidstrom, Frederick Olison. Is that how you yep. pronounce it? Yep. Olison? Yep. Yuri Fisher, Chris Chelios, Steve Duchesne, Matthew Dandineau. And then in net, it was Dominic Hoshik. Manny Legacy was the backup, and Scotty Bowman behind the bench. As for awards, Litstrom won both the Norris and the Consumite because, again, this team did win the Stanley Cup. So, that's your overview. Where do you want to start for how this uh, how this series might go? Yeah, I mean, so this is our 1-8 matchup in the modern conference. And again, the 0-1-0-2 team widely is regarded as, you know, the most talented roster that's ever been put together really in the NHL when you consider the plethora of Hall of Famers. I mean, as you're running down the names, you've got Fedorov, Iserman, Shanahan, Robitaille, Larianoff, you know, Datsuk will likely be a Hall of Famer at some point. Brett Hull's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Nick Lidstrom is a Hall of Famer. Chris Chelios is a Hall of Famer. You get to Hasek, to Bowman. I mean, you had Hall of Famers really littered at every position here. This team was extremely dominant. They were second in the league in scoring at 3.06 goals for per game, uh, fourth in the league in terms of goals against 2.28. And you had the ultimate eraser in Dominic Hasek. You know, if, if you did actually get there, Hasek, you know, posted one of his better, I shouldn't say better, probably an average season for him with 41 wins, a 2.17 goals against average, 9.15 save percentage. But, I mean, this was just a, a really, really talented team, very difficult to key in on any one scoring line. I mean, you had four guys score 30 goals for this team. Obviously, Shanahan, Fedorov, Hull, and Robitaille all scored 30 or more goals. So very, very difficult team to just match up with. You know, the, the I think the big thing to think about with this team is a lot of these guys are kind of well outside their prime. You have to remember that Eiserman was battling a significant knee injury that really limited his ability to skate and be effective. He just willed his way through the playoffs here. You have to remember this team dealt with a lot of the fatigue because 2002 was an Olympic year. And if you think about an Olympic year with this team, just about everybody was going to the Olympics for for uh, the Detroit Red Wings. And so, you know, while they actually hit the Olympic break, a ridiculous 41-11-6, you know, after coming back from the break, they actually only won five of their final 17 games and kind of slowed down. So you wonder, you know, in a more challenging playoff environment, does this team's age allow them to hold up? Does their experience carry through? It certainly did in the 2002 playoffs when they were able to get past Vancouver, St. Louis, Colorado, and then Carolina in the finals. So, you know, I think this is a really, really talented team. It's just important to remember that they are a little bit on the older side here. I believe their average age of the team was about 32 so one of the older teams that we have in this uh, in this bracket. Yeah, I definitely would say that the 0102 ras- roster passes the you know first look test because you're just looking at all these Hall of Fame names and you're going, well, if they've got Hall of Famers littered throughout the lineup, uh, they should be the pick. But you look a little deeper, especially at kind of this nice upper right corner uh, quick hitter box that you've provided, and you see that the 0506 team really has a few. Significant upper hands here, especially you look at total team point shares. They had like 13 more point shares in the 0102 team. Uh, the power play was better. The penalty kill was not quite as good um, by like you know actual percentage, but in the league context, it was a uh, kind of more of like 
relative to league average, relative to the to the time, uh, even though it's only a five year difference, it was a, a better penalty kill uh, by that measure. The 0506 team scored more. Um, and by the simple rating system, which you may want to explain in a minute here, they had uh, a pretty, you know, decent, about a 20% edge, 1.03 by the simple rating system compared to a 0.83 for the 0102 team. Do you want to walk us through the simple rating system? Real yeah. Quick? So the simple rating system and then point shares, I'll, I'll kind of talk about. So a lot of the data used to put together these cards that you guys will see on Twitter um, when the episode launches uh, is using data from hockeyreference.com. So sure a lot of you have frequented hockey reference in the past so they have a couple of uh statistics that have been calculated that basically allows you to compare historical teams a little bit more easily a lot of the modern day stats that we use now just simply aren't available for those older teams and so while these are imperfect statistics they at least offer us some measure of comparison uh, between the two teams and so the simple rating system uh, from Hockey Reference is essentially a team rating that takes into account the average goal differential as well as the strength of schedule. So the rating is essentially goals above divided by goals below average. So effectively, um, you know, around zero is is considered average. And generally anything north of one is considered really, really good. Um, and so if you're looking at the two teams, obviously 0506 comes in at 1.03. That's actually the the fifth highest simple rating system score uh, of any Red Wings team in franchise history. The 0102 team actually comes in at 0.83, which is a few spots uh, lower. Again, this is simply a measure of just goal differential and and uh, and um, you, as well as the strength of schedule. So it, it's not a perfect measure by any means here, but it just offers us some insight as to how well these teams effectively bludgeoned their opponents. All right, so that's the statistical profiles. Let's get into how these teams might actually match up with one another. I'm looking at the lineup for the 0506 teams and a couple of things that jump out um, as major differences because when these two teams are still ultimately the same roster, just five years removed, you got Matthew Schneider on the 0506 team. Uh, you got Nicholas Cronwall, a young Nicholas Cronwall. Uh, you got Robert Lang and Jason Williams. Those are kind of the main differences. Michael Samuelson also up there as the main differences the 0506 team has. On the 0102 team, uh, meanwhile, you've got Yuri Fisher, uh, Dominic Hoshik, Matthew Dandino still uh, in the lineup or is in the lineup there. Um, and then you've got kind of the, the older crowd of the Robitaille, Larianov, Brett Hull, but those are kind of toward their last legs for all three of those guys. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about the 0102 team is a lot of them are, a lot of those guys are towards their, the end of their careers. Um, obviously, Datsuk in this season is a rookie. Boy, Devereaux is also quite young, and, and they're the two guys that really gave a lot of energy and, and the ability to chase. Now, Datsuk was far from Pavel Datsuk uh, that we know still at this time supremely talented kid, but he was still learning kind of the speed of the game, the, the the pace, how often, you know, he should try his deeks and maneuvers. There's a really funny quote from 2001-2002 where, you know, Scotty Bowman effectively had to tell Datsuk, hey, once you beat the defenseman once, you don't have to beat them again. Just carry on with the play because uh, Datsuk had a tendency to basically do a deke, get past the defenseman, do another deke to come back past the defenseman, and sometimes we'll get themselves into situations like that. So it's not the same Pavel Datsuk that 0506 has. We're now in 0506. He's an 87-point scorer to lead the team, 
um, you know, supremely talented player there, Lady Bing winner. Uh, and so it's, it's a little bit different. And I think 0506, we don't talk about enough, but just coming out of the lockout, there was a lot of rule changes that really opened up the game. And so that's why they scored a little bit better. But I mean, this was a team that maximized the most out of their veterans, but now started to have some of that youth injected into the roster. You now have, uh, you know, Johan Franzen making his NHL debut and he's 26 years old here. You've got names like Dan Cleary, who's 27, you know, stepping in. Uh, Matthew Schneider was a huge addition for the Red Wings as he was in phenomenal defenseman, really underrated from that era, but had one of the hardest slap shots in the league and was a supremely talented power play quarterback. So he was a guy that really helped, but you still had some of those older guys in the lineup that, you know, struggled a little bit more. Obviously, Eisenman is 40 here. Shanahan is 37. Chelios is 44. Um, and the real weak spot and ultimately what, uh, did the Red Wings in in the playoffs was their goaltending, um, with Manny Legacy, who was just unable to, to hold off the Edmonton Oilers in that 0506 first round. I think the 0506 team wins this series. If I can just cut right to the quick here. I think what I like about them is I like how they're built, especially down the middle. Datsuk, Zetterberg, Lang, Draper as the centers uh, is really tough to match up with. Even though I recognize the 0102 team is trotting out Iserman, Larionov, Datsuk, Draper, those are still, uh, you know, you're dealing with, with older players here. When you're looking at the 0506 team, basically all of those guys except Draper uh, are in their prime or just entering it, right? I mean, I think uh, maybe, maybe you could even argue... Um, the uh Larionov point like you know he's is, is that his very last year did he make it one more I think he made it one more in 0203 if I remember correctly but I, ultimately I think he's 43 years old in that uh um in the 0102 season so he's he's definitely the elder statesman um yeah you know at that point and and while uh you know while the Red Wings in 0506 certainly did have some yeah sorry Larionov was 41 in 0102 he does play in 0203 and actually scores 40 some points as as a 42 year old which is quite impressive uh you know for <laughs> someone at his age coming over as late as he did but you know there I think it's a it's an interesting argument to to make yeah i mean so the goaltending is the thing that gave me the most pause. And I think that, you know, there's maybe a point for the defenseman as well where you can say, you know, Yuri Fisher was a, was obviously tracking to be a quite good player. But I think by that point, maybe it hadn't been proven even to the point it would have been, you know, two, three years later. Um, I think you could make that same argument with Nicholas Cronwall. And I think the, the Matthew Schneider factor, um, is, is a big one here. I think he's, he's a big reason why I would pick the 0506 team. Um, I'd also say Nicholas Littstrom, if we want to talk about best Littstroms, had, uh, a stronger kind of point share season in the 0506 season than he did in 0102. I mean, it, it was also, you know, for whatever points are worth, with as many Hall of Famers as were on that 0102 team, uh, Littstrom had kind of a, one of his, I think it was actually his highest scoring year, as a pro in 0506, that was his point per game, 80 point Norris season. You have to classify which of his Norris seasons we're talking about here. Yeah, this was a, uh, but that was one of the better ones. <laughs> yeah, this was his second three-peat of Norris's because he three-peated twice, just like Michael Jordan. Uh, he three-peats the first time, uh, 2001, 2002, 2003. So the 0-1-0-2 is kind of the middle of the first three-peat and then 0- 06, 07, 08 is the second three-peat. 
This would have been a good trivia question, something around that. I mean, last week. seven seven Norris trophies really only goes to to one of two guys, right? So it's it's Nick Listrom, but yeah, three peats all around. But if you could have named the the years encompassing the three peats, I don't know. Oh yeah. Um, Anyways, do you? I mean, so so you think the O one O two team wins? I still think the O one O two team wins it, and again, I think it comes down to goaltending here in a seven game series. Manny Legacy really struggled against, you know, an Edmonton Oilers team that yes, did they go to the Stanley Cup final and and get to Game Seven of that? They sure did, um, but that was a very very talented O one O two team or O five O six team that should have been able to to do a little bit more. It's not all Legacy's fault. Uh, the Wings went up against Dwayne Rollison in Edmonton, and he just absolutely stole the show um, as he did the entire playoff run. But that being said, Legacy was far from great in 5 uh, I think he was a goaltender that, again, he kind of embodied the spirit of, you know, throw anybody in net behind the Red Wings, and they're going to win the – they're going to be able to win because that's how loaded they were up front. But I just – I don't think stylistically that this team in 0506 would have been able to stack up against the the depth up front of the 0102 team as well as the fact that you know you still have a much younger Chris Chelios who again is not far removed um, from his Norris winning seasons. So I think that 0102 team has just got a notch above uh the 0506 team for me, but it's hard to argue and it's really a uh it's kind of a dangerous 1-8 matchup, but with the 0-5-0-6 team being the second winningest team in Red Wings franchise history. Yeah, and you know what? I just realized I didn't even factor in Sergei Fedorov to this, and he was only 31. I think I was kind of in my mind penciling in him later in his career, but that's really... He's still very much in his prime by this point. I mean, he was going to score 83 points in 0-2-0-3 anyway, so... I may change my answer here just based off that. I don't think I was giving enough because I might just flex him to center. If I'm, if I have that team, I might be flexing him to center and moving someone up the lineup onto the left wing. I mean, I, I know the Fedorov, Iserman, Shanahan line, that's pretty tough to top, but you know, in order to, to make the center matchups work, I might just move him down a line and then I think that, fi- that would fix a lot of my, my issues. Plus you got Dominic Hoshik in that. Yeah, I mean, you certainly could. Like the, the lines that are posted on these cards when you guys see them, these are lines that, you know, the wings would trot out in the playoffs. And so I tried to best mimic what their playoff roster looked like. Um, and so by the time they're in the Stanley Cup finals, it was Fedorov, Eiserman, Shanahan. But, you know, there was, uh, over the years, Fedorov played a lot with Igor Larionov. You know, Fedorov would take shifts with Thomas Holmstrom, as we'll talk about in, in other matchups. So there, there's guys that he's accustomed to playing with. I mean, Iserman used to have, uh, you know, in the late 90s, one of his wingers was Darren McCarty. And so you can really mix and match this roster how you want. This was just the lineup that the Red Wings kind of carried throughout the playoffs for the most part when they were totally healthy. So it may not best mimic everything you see, um, you know, obviously in 0102, there was a guy that the Wings added who was a decent defenseman in Yuri Slager, who ultimately didn't play in the in the Cup Finals and didn't really play much in the playoffs either, as the Wings kind of tapped uh, Yuri Fisher to do that. Um, but that being said, uh, you can really reorganize these lines however you want. Just just know that these were kind of the lines that the Wings carried in the playoffs. Yep, yep. All right, well, then I think we will unanimously elevate 0102. Does that sound good? I think that's fair, and now it's we'll kind of turn it over to, to you guys to actually vote in the poll, and you guys will get to decide who we 
move ahead here, whether it's 0102 as our one seed or 0506 in the uh, 8-1 upset. So we're really just giving the kind of analysis our our breakdown of it and then we're letting the bracket be determined by the fan vote i like that yeah basically uh you're not gonna we can't just decide here it's not a two-man committee we're gonna let it play out and you know 0506 maybe this is their chance at redemption because uh, in 0506 they were a one seed and got knocked out by an eight let's see what happens here I'm going to take a quick pause right there to tell you about the Black Tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suitor tuxedo, for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? Turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible, unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code WINGS. That's theblacktux.com, code WINGS, for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux. Formal wear for the moment. All right, now we're going to go to two teams who are even more similar. So I love how this worked out. Um, we're going to go to the 0708 Red Wings versus the 0809 Red Wings in this quadrant of the bracket. So the 0708 Red Wings, you're looking at a top line of Datsuk, Zetterberg, Holmstrom. Uh, the rest of your forwards are Franzen, Philpola, Samuelson, Cleary, Draper, Dallas, Drake, and then a Malpy, Helm, Hoodler fourth line. Uh, lefties are Nick Littstrom, Nick Cromwell, Brett Lebda, right? It's Brian Rafalski, Brad Stewart, Andreas Lilia. And then you got Osgood and Hashik and Nett. Uh, this team had uh, a Norris winner in Littstrom, a Consmyth in Zetterberg, a Selkie in Datsuk, a Lady Bing in Datsuk, a Jennings, which is a goaltending, uh, trophy between the, the best, the, the, the goaltenders on the team with the lowest save percentage. Uh, that was Osgood and Hashik, obviously. The 0809 team, meanwhile, had Datsuk Holmstrom Hosa, Zetterberg Cleary Franzen, Philpola Samuelson Hoodler, Draper Malpy, Thomas Kopetsky. And then on defense, it was Lidstrom Rafalski, Cronwall Stewart, Leb DeLilly. I think that's the same group yep. of, uh, of defensemen there. Yep. And then it was Osgood and Ty Conklin backing him up. And then that was, uh, also a Selkie and a Lady Bing year for Datsuk. But obviously the Red Wings did not win the Stanley Cup, so there's no, Con Smythe, and that was not a Norris year for Nick Lidstrom. Kind of hard to find those at this point. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, I think he came second in Norris Trophy voting um, that year because he just finished his second three-peat, and they decided to give it to, you know, somebody else in, in 08, 09, just, out of, just to be nice to, I guess, the rest of the league is what used to happen with the MVP award and Michael Jordan in the NBA. For those of you that just watched The Last Dance, every, every now and then they'd get bored and hand it to somebody else. So, uh, you know, stylistically, this is a fun one to watch, and it was very intentional for me to put these two teams uh, next to each other because while there is some similarities 
in terms of the players, particularly that back-end defensive group. I think what's different is how the Wings chose to operate from a goaltending standpoint and how the Wings really had their offensive lines structured because this 0809 team was one of the most offensively potent teams uh, that the Red Wings have ever fielded. They are so much more fun to watch, the 0809. I, I watched the 0809 and 0708 uh, deciding games, I, I mean, earlier in the summer. I think I've, I've written about both of them. Um, the 0809 team was so fun to watch. I actually came away from that Game 7, and I know everyone was miserable having to read about it. That team not only, I thought, played a winning game, that was such fun hockey. And, and one of our conclusions that we drew, Craig Shonjantelli and I watching it, was you can really draw kind of a delineation of what playoff hockey looks like in the NHL, we think, between those two series. Like, it goes to this faster, uh, more offensive game. Not that Mike Babcock didn't try to, to hold off a little longer into the older into the older style, but I think that's really the delineation. I really believe that, and that, that was one of the conclusions we had from it. And so I think if you plop that 07-08 team into that world... Uh, I think the 0809 team wins, but I also think the 0708 team, you know, was pretty good at what it did. Yeah, I mean, the 0809 team, kind of speaking to your offense, they scored 20 more goals than the next highest scoring team. And so while 20 goals doesn't sound like a lot, I mean, that was essentially the same difference between second and ninth in the league that year. So, you know, they scored a lot. I mean, they averaged three and a half goals per game in this kind of dead puck era, if you will. And so that was just such a, such a strong team. I mean, you can go back and watch the highlight clips of kind of Hosa and, and Datsuk and their passing, uh, you know, every now and then, because now we're entering into the modern era, we can kind of see some more nuanced statistics and more modern statistics. I mean, you can see how often the wings would trot out combos of Datsuk, Hosa, and, you know, Zetterberg when it was towards the end of the game or if they needed to kind of change things up. Maybe it was Datsuk, Zetterberg, and Cleary, or they would really change things up and go with Datsuk, Franzen, and Hosa. And there's just so many different combinations that they could throw at you that would offer so many different styles uh, that really posed a huge problem, you know, for the rest of the NHL, which is so hard to defend them. And that's why, you know, they're averaging three and a half goals per game in a uh, league that just really didn't do that uh, kind of at that point in time. Now, kind of on the flip side, the 07-08 team is one of the best defensive teams that the Red Wings have ever fielded. And when we talk about kind of the standard bearer for what mod- uh, what a team should look like in modern-day hockey, the 07-08 Red Wings are often utilized as that kind of gold standard for what a team could conceivably be um, if they're playing at kind of their top level. So if you think about uh, some of the more modern-day statistics that we talk about, like Corsi 4 percentage, you know, the number one team in Corsi 4 percentage uh, since we have stats, which is 07-08 on, is the 07-08 Red Wings at 59.7%. Uh, which is a roughly 25% higher, now roughly 20% higher than this year's Red Wings team. So, uh, it's mind boggling. Now the fun fact is the second highest team is the 0809 Red Wings, which is this matchup here. Um, but they were just a truly dominant team, uh, at five on five, so difficult to play against. Um, and so I, I really think this is a fun matchup for that reason alone in that, 
you really have a dominant offensive team and a dominant defensive team, uh, and it just makes for a great series to watch when a lot of the players are effectively the same. Two unbelievable Pavel Datsuk years here. I mean, I believe in the analytics era, which is kind of beginning 07-08, Datsuk has two of the three best seasons of all t- of, of that era, um, and the 07-08 Datsuk is the far and away leader by goals above replacement, 40.6. Number two is McDavid at 33.6, and then Datsuk also at 33.6. Um, that's a crazy set of years that, that Datsuk was that much more dominant than even McDavid at his best so far. Yeah, I mean, we're really talking about uh, just next level Pavel Datsuk. And the fun part about all of this is that you know, when you're thinking about it from that perspective, in addition to that being Datsuk's best year, you know, it's also important to track out Henrik Zetterberg's years because his right. 07-08 season, if uh, memory serves me correctly, was his best of his career. And so you're really getting the best versions of Henrik Zetterberg and, and Pavel Datsuk. So his 07-08 season, you know, Henrik Zetterberg's putting up 23.3 goals above replacement, which is far and away the best season of his career. In 08-09, he's at 11. So effectively half the amount of goals above replacement um, offered. And so you really have two of the best two-way forwards of the last 30 years at the peak of their powers playing in front of a Norris Trophy winner in Nick Lidstrom, who's now winning his sixth Norris Trophy. You've got Brian Rafalski, who is consistently underrated, but one of the best scoring defensemen uh, in NHL history. I mean, this season he has 55 points. And then in the back end, you still have Osgood and you still have Hasek kind of splitting that tandem. And ultimately they offer the Wings the best defense in the NHL that year. Yeah, and this is where uh, I'm not sure how well I kind of made that, articulated that point the last time I was talking about these teams, but I think the 0809 team like fits better into the modern, in, in, into what the modern like day game looks like. But I think the 0708 team being so great at what they did would win them this series. And I actually think they could win it in like five or six games because I think even though you have Lidstrom and Rafalski, who were Norris top 10 uh, finalists uh, in their year, the defense on the 07-08 team was suffocating. They didn't score that much less, and they had some just truly outstanding individual seasons by um, Datsuk and Zetterberg. And even though you, you bring Hosa into the equation a year later, all the numbers to me would indicate that I would bet on the 0708 team here, even if I might prefer watching the 0809 team. Yeah, like I would, I would have to agree. I'd have to bet on the uh, 0708 team just because of how suffocating they were. Like if you're if you're thinking about just how much trouble they gave other teams defensively. I mean, this was a team that won their games by an average of 0.9 goals per game, uh, which is just unreal to think about. Uh, you know, kind of putting it in perspective, there's very few teams that have ever dominated to, to that degree, and they're ultimately one of the best teams in, in NHL history for that reason. Um, you know, again, thinking about expected goals being the quality of uh, shots given up consistently and, and what percentage of those would ultimately go in. From an expected goals against standpoint, the 0708 Wings have the third lowest expected goals against uh, per 60 minutes at five on five of any team, uh, since 2007, 2008, and that's at 1.75. Uh, 
so just you're not getting really anything on them. Uh, they may not score as much, but they are just suffocating to play against. And I ultimately think as much as that can be frustrating to watch, and I know a lot of fans are frustrated watching, you know, it's something that attempts to, to do that right now, even if it doesn't succeed. Uh, when it's done well and when it leads you to win hockey games, I think it's a lot easier to get behind that style than uh, when, it, when it's all in the hypothetical. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Like, it's, it, you know, you can say it's tough, and certainly as the years dragged on and the Wings teams got worse and worse and worse, it was tough to, to you know, get behind that style. But when it was at the peak of their abilities with, you know, all the best players in their primes, it was it was a lot of fun to watch. I think it's one of the most fun things to do, like, when you're – you almost get to be the 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 dad on the you know driveway basketball court, and it's just like you get to have fun denying the opportunity, even if it you know obviously it's fun to dunk a ball and all that, but to just deny someone the opportunity to do it because you can, there is a competitive uh, joy to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean just being able to illustrate how much better you are, uh, you know, than the other players. I mean it's. It's that it's a lot of fun to watch sometimes. I mean, you know, again, I like to throw it back to the last dance to be relevant in, in pop culture, but it's so much fun with Scottie Pippen just being able to go up, pick up the other team's point guard at full court and know that the other guy can't get up the court. And that's the reason that, you know, a series is tilted because literally he is so good at denying you from being able to start your offense or get into what you want to do that. You know, that's that's why they win, and it was the same thing with Datsuk and Zetterberg. They were so tenacious, you know, with the puck, getting the puck back, that you never got anything started. And then if you did, you were running into Nick Lidstrom and Brian Rafalski, and it was just, it was no fun for another team to play against. Yeah, so you can consider this our uh, treatise on defense and, and, and how, when done well, uh, it can absolutely win championships. All right, but it's ultimately up to you guys to to make yep. the decision here as to who moves on. So we'll, you know, when the episode launches, we'll obviously launch the polls. So be sure you're uh, uh, voting in the polls. We'll leave them open for a day or so, so you guys can uh, see who would win the the series here. And I think our plan is to do a couple of these per show. Sometimes we'll run longer if we have other topics to talk about. We may take a break whenever they do announce the draft and not do. Um, matchups for one episode it, just in case we need kind of that full hour range or maybe we just do a mega episode one day who knows but um, that is going to be all the time we have for today sorry we couldn't get to any questions uh, we got a got some moving parts going on but um, we will be back at you guys later this week so stick around to uh, to your phone I know you have nowhere else to be uh, and we'll be back at it with the next quadrant to this bracket then thanks so much and take care <laughs>